Earth podcast with your host, Jake Weaver, engineered by Cedric Swan. Everybody, we are back with another episode of Midnight on Earth. I'm your host, Jake Weaver, and we are here to bring you more knowledge, more lights, and more love. Well, today we have a legend on the show, legendary activist, legendary author, so many different things that this human has contributed. Michael Stewart Ani is here. We're going to be talking about his book, Ghost Dance, the Talking Plants Foundation, and so much more. This is going to be an incredible episode. But first, I need you to do something for me. Follow me on Instagram at midnight underscore on underscore earth. That is the address. You can follow me there. Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you go to connect with the podcast, find me there and click that button. And of course, word of mouth, tell a friend, tell someone that you know that loves these type of podcasts that would be incredibly interested in this hidden history of humanity, this part of the human family. Bring them here, midnightsonearth.com. Okay, so we're about to talk to Michael. But I have to read his bio. So here we go. Michael Stewart Ani has been a student of plant wisdom for almost 50 years. As a young man, the Lakota sage John Fire Lame Deer guided him through his first peyote ceremony and then sent him south to Mexico in search of the steps of the ghost dance. These steps led Michael to the Sierra Mazateca of Oaxaca, famous for its sacred mushrooms. From the 1960s through the 1970s, Ani lived in the Mazateca's most remote cloud forest and became the only outsider who was ever allowed to collect the sacred mushroom species of the region. During the 1980s, the steps of the ghost dance led Ani to the remote tribes of the Amazon jungle. With his Amazonia Foundation, Michael was instrumental in finding the epidemics among the Yanomami tribe in the rainforests of Venezuela. His work in Venezuela was subsequently featured in the 1994 documentary Yanomami Keepers of the Flame, which won the U.S. Environmental Film Festival's Best Documentary of the Year. Dedicated to helping the Yanomami survive the epidemics, Ani would periodically leave the jungle to raise money to support the medical effort. In this time, he took on many different careers. He became an author, producer, university lecturer, and radio and TV guest speaker. During the early years of the 2000s, Ani focused his attention back on the northern states of the Americas and worked to repatriate some of the very last genetically pure bison to the Brule Lakota tribes on the Rosebud Reservation in South Dakota. While on that reservation, Ani responded to the requests of tribal elder Leonard Crow Dog and brought an eyeglass clinic to the reservation. Because of his efforts in South America and Mexico and his work to build a ceremony house 
For the renowned healer, Grandpa Roy Stone, the Amazonia Foundation was honored by being included as an organization under the umbrella of the National Congress of American Indians. Today, Michael Stewart Ani lives in the cloud forest of the Sierra Mazateca with his partner Heather and Tom Gracie Goose. He's a farmer, public speaker, writer, and advocate for the protection of the environment, and he is here with us today. Hello, Michael. What a bio! <laughs> Thanks, James. My <laughs> pleasure to be here. Well, I do want to thank Ronnie Pontiac for connecting us. Incredible yes. human being and powerful circle of friends. It's good to be in the network of people that were sent here to heal humanity. Before anything else, Michael, do you feel like you are a being, a, a light being that was sent to this planet to help humanity evolve? <laughs> well, you know, it's partly an age thing, but I I didn't cut the happenstances that led me on the path I got on were odd and not what you would expect. And I don't think I had really that much personal awareness of just a force that was driving me and the commitment to follow it. I I never really saw me is anything more than the particular actions I took in my life. I I don't really, I don't know if there's anything about me that's any different than anybody else in the beginning, but what I ended up doing was unique. But was there foreshadowing? Looking back on your life, was there anything that you noticed? Any synchronistic things that you could say may point to your first peyote ceremony or the things that helped you grow as an individual? Yeah, you know, I mean, there were many events and they were personal and not. I mean, I would say two events that were very big for me was um, one was I just by happenstance went to the um, pavilion of the White Cliff Bible Translators. And in that pavilion, they, when I was young, very young, I saw the tribes of the Alto Amazonas when, at a time when most people believed that the last wild uncontacted people on earth were the cargo coat of New Guinea. And, um, and there weren't any. But then when the Rockefellers and the missionaries entered the forest in the 50s, they started to realize there were still many tribal people there. So seeing those images of the incredible um, wild Kandosha and the tribes of there, and then seeing them forced into wearing school uniforms and learning through my mother who worked with the Bureau of Indian Affairs. I was on reservations a lot as a kid, so I had contact with it. But what's ironic, people say to me, oh, you know, in the 50s on the reservations, on the Lakota reservations, it must have been, you know, so pure. Not true at that time. The beliefs of the old beliefs of the people were almost completely exterminated. Most of them were illegal. The traditional people were few and hid. And it really wasn't until Sam Ketchum and Grandpa Chips and Grandma Alice Four Horns and, and um, John Lame Deer and, of course, Floyd Fool's Crow, Grandpa White, 
that they started in secret doing ceremonies. And that was one of the things I did. Those ceremony houses were made illegal in 1890 with the ghost dance. And with Roy Stone, I was part of building the very first legitimately legal um, ceremony house on Lakota land since 1890. So there was a lot of happenstance involved with me getting there. Of course, it was the 60s. So people were looking at things differently. People were traveling all over the world much more. You know, people don't realize until then there wasn't much air travel for civilian people. And that changed things. And as I always joked, how I really got my situation in the Amazonas was I was sent by Aaron Spelling Productions to make a movie about um, someone I, I admired very much. Manuel um, Manuel Cordova Diaz, who wrote the book Wizard of the Upper Amazon and told the story of when he was captured by a boy and learned he's really the person who brought ayahuasca to the outside world. And um, when I went down there, it just so happened in the small town at the time in the movie theater, um, they were playing the police academy movies. And I was one of the original writers on Police Academy. So the local people in the town were very impressed. They wanted to know how many times I was personally with Marilyn Monroe and things. I had to tell yeah, she was dead most of that time. <laughs> and so that's what I'm saying. And because of that, I ended up getting the most difficult permission in the world that few anthropologists or anybody get. I actually had three different presidential permissions to actually live among uncontacted tribes. And that made me a member of what they called the Orinoco Wild Bunch. I'm kind of the last survivor of the Orinoco Wild Bunch. Wow. So that's why I'm saying it was odd circumstances. More than I was on some great spiritual journey, I would say in the early days, I was more looking for pre-Columbian treasure than anything or gems or something. A lower middle class kid could make a living and survive in that world. But things led me a different way. Wow. Wow. Lots to unpack there. But what about your first peyote experience? I mean, something led you to that. And then you were essentially guided by John Fire Landier. Tell me about that. I mean, that had to be such a pivotal shaping moment for you as a human. Yes. You know, once again, actually, the very first time I had an encounter with peyote um, I was with the Pima and I went to a medicine man and I said, you know, I wanted to learn about this. I was just curious. I'd heard about it. And he took out a, a vial of morphine in a needle. He said, this is what we use. I was like, whoa, that ain't going to work for me, you know. And so by the time I got to John, John was already older. I knew him when I was younger, but by then he was already older and he was drinking a lot. And um and I just liked John. John was an amazingly brilliant guy in spite of his problems with alcohol and all. And things just happened. And he said, no, I'm going to take you up in the mountains and we're going to do a Wambliche, a spirit ceremony with Peoro. And it just kind of happened in a day. I didn't prepare for it or anything. It was just so I think my story a lot of people now say, oh, I had this spiritual thing and this being of light came to me and chose me. Um, 
I don't know. I don't know about that. But that's not what happened to me. For me, it's just been one strange event. And of course, as I grew and matured, what really grabbed me on a personal, if we're saying personal ego and all was, I realized I had stepped into this incredible opportunity while the world was racing towards technology and supposedly all the answers for everything that never answered nothing. In me, there was something, maybe because I grew up with my grandparents who were very third world people, um, that I went the other direction. I went back in time. And as I got to more and more remote tribes, I first noticed I had a personal ability to deal with those people that few people did, mostly because I really liked them and enjoyed them. And, um, and so that personal journey was not so much, oh, I'm going to find God or the spiritual answer. It was more like I have this opportunity to go all the way back in time before people used metal, that new metal, when people were still naked, to take a look at who I as everybody else was truly naked in every way, in spirit, in clothing, in soul. And I think more than, oh, I thought I would be enlightened or become a bodhisattva or something. I think it was really that that drove me. <laughs> wow, that which is still a beautiful intention. Right. You're trying to get in the midst of history. You're trying to go as far back as you can still in this century on Earth with the humans that are still living in that way. In a way, they're a gateway. They're a bridge to this really ancient knowledge. Yeah, I, I think that's where I could touch on on the point of it. I think I sensed. You know, we're talking about the Vietnam era. We're talking about the era of intense um, visual racism. Um, and, of course, all those things affected me, too. And I started to realize that there was something very hidden that people didn't know about. And when I was very young like that, I went through a lot of tragedy I had a lot of death around me, family members and things. So it kind of put me as a midlife crisis at a very young age. You know, I had to deal with a lot of death in my teens instead of now in my 70s where everybody seems to be dying <laughs> around me. So it's a little easier now. Um, and that made me question if there was something hidden that that in our race towards the future we missed about who we are that could possibly help us in that future. And I think I have a good soul that way and I care about people. I'm by nature a um, a, a person who likes to take care of and all children. I like that stuff. So I think that's more what happened to me. And then at a point when I went so far that I had really emerged myself. I mean, you've got to remember there were no cell phones or anything that I'd take off for years that no one knew if I was dead or alive. <laughs> and, um, and I paid a great price for that. But the price of what I was learning among these people, I felt for myself and everything was extremely important because I came to see the other event of a youth that set me on my way was, 
um, my parents went out, I guess, on a Saturday night, and they had, you know, typical of 50s parents. They had the hidden magazines they didn't want the kids to see under the bed, you know. So they had Playboys and other stuff that they looked at. And they had the Life magazine of the story of when Gordon Wasson went and met Maria Sabine in Wotla and had the first, um, very far from the first, but the very well-publicized mushroom experience that got to Timothy Leary and changed the whole thing. And I must admit, as a kid, looking at this famous magazine with this story of a vice president of Manhattan Chase Bank, very right-wing conservative, going off to the hills of Mexico and having a mushroom experience with a woman they called Mendoza, but it was really uh, uh, Elias from Maria Sabina. And he truly believed that he actually, through her, contacted his dead mother, which he was very close and troubled about. And in the experience, as I knew Gordon Watson later, or Gordon Watson, he told me that the experience told him things that nobody would know, even him, about his mother, this secret. And it really convinced him. And I think it planted a seed in me of, could this really be true? Could there be more than just getting a degree and kissing up to get a better job and you know me working in a factory because my parents worked in a... I went, no, no, that's not for me. I'm going to go look for this. So I think those were the events that wow. made me. Wow, I'm so glad you did. And just touching on one of the things that you said, it seems like that thing that you were looking for that we may have skipped over or lost in that growth process, our collective growth process is kind of not fully, but kind of what manifested in the sixties. There was a, a loss, a lack, a need of universal love of understanding that we're one, we're truly one being one family. And that started to manifest itself in the sixties as the counterculture movement, which seemed to be fed by a lot of these ancient ideas from these indigenous cultures around the world. Um, you know, that's a funny one because, you know, like people say to me, oh, do you know this song from the 70s, the 80s? I don't know any of them. I was here, <laughs> but I do know the 60s songs, you know, because I was here listening to them. It was an odd time because a strange thing with me in that period of time you know, I did LSD the first time. It must have been 1964 or 65. It was still legal when I did it the first time. And I will admit, it totally altered any reality I had. I mean, and that LSD back then is not like LSD now. You really saw major hallucinations and all. It was like shattering. But also in the time I realized that a lot of the kids around me that could have these experiences and travel and all, came from much wealthier backgrounds than me. And it was their privilege that gave them this opportunity. And, you know, they had trust funds. They went to college, so their parents sent them on a trip in the summer. I was a callejero. I was a street kid, you know. <laughs> so for me, I had to find my own path through the 60s. So people make fun of me. A very good friend of mine said to me the other day, he says, you know, people always laugh that you're like this old cowboy, and, you know, you didn't have the 60s. He said, but you were very much part of the beginning of it. But I kind of left it 
very early and went off on a whole different path. And I would say in my journey, the difference was a lot of people went out there and people, some people went very far out there, but I literally went to the end of the earth. I don't know if anybody went quite as far out there as I went. And I think that's part of what that was, was the deaths in my family, my sister's death. People very close to me died. I don't want to go into it, although, and very tragic deaths, not natural deaths. And I kind of felt, you know, I once said about my father and the sister that my sister was this beautiful vase that my father, who was very third world, put on the shelf to protect it in his third world macho. And the wind came and blew the curtains and broke it on the floor. And after all that death, I think something in me said, live life. Yes. Don't wait around and one day be sitting here with Jake going, God, Jake, you know, I've worked at this job at Basket of Roberts my whole life. <laughs> you know, what have I, you know, I said, go out and get it, boy. And I had the cojones to do that. You know, I, I had a, a bit of salt in me. I wasn't a very fearful kid. I I was a rascally kid. So um, so I, I think that's how the thing transpired. So I do have a semi, you know, the 60s turned into the new age. And the new age with its ego said, oh, we've created the new age. But the New Age was actually created in 1919 in Berlin, Germany, when mescaline was synthesized and everyone from Hermann Hesse to Rudolf Hesse was taking mescaline. And people like Madame Bolivatsky were making incredible claims in Aleister Crowley. And it was a wonderful artistic creative time because the world was so racing towards the future with the world wars and fascism and communism and capitalism that... Um, People turned around and they wanted to know about the secrets of Egypt, the Machu Picchu, and these things. And so there was this great awakening. To be realistic, as we know historically, the shame was that brilliant awakening ended in one of humanity's greatest tragedies. It went right from there to the Tolly Getzelchaf and Karl Hauschelfer were doing psychedelics. They say they were doing with Adolf Hitler and all and it got out of hand because of eugenics and this belief that chemicals can solve all of humanity's problems. And very ironically, I think we're at a repeat of that exact moment right now. And to quote Mark Twain with that, history does not repeat itself, but it sure does rhyme. <laughs> wow. I love what you're saying. There's so much to unpack, but yes, it does seem like we're kind of at that similar precipice, but different now because previously during that time, we didn't have the ability to communicate instantly all over the world without censorship. Now we have this network, this internet that allows us to communicate globally instantly. And so it's a different way to process that experience. Hopefully we can rise above it. Well, that, that's a very tricky moment because as you know, in the psychedelic movement today, a group of people have decided they deserve to make all the money from it. They deserve to make the rules. And oh, yes. if you ask them why, they will tell you because they've taken the most drugs. And I say, well, wake up people. Taking a lot of drugs does not make you a medicine person. 
it makes you someone who took a lot of drugs. Right. <laughs> you know, and right. And so there, this thing about pushing on young people that, oh, the Indian people and everybody, they take psychedelics all the time and they microdose all the time and it's raising our consciousness. That's exactly what the Nazis and the and the fascists in England and Aldous Huxley was saying in those days, eugenics, you are genetically better than somebody else, right? And we are right at that point again. So yes, the I mean, I'm on the internet, I get that, but I also realize it's also the great misinformation highway. Things at this time in history, I call it kind of the Paris Hilton Kardashian phenomena that kind of started with the Regans. If you say something with absolute conviction and people think you're rich, they believe you no matter what stupid crap you say. And they and they go on. And the psychedelic movement, I think, is very much that way. I think it's the mostly what I see on the Internet from my deep knowledge of this subject is absolute crap. It's made up stuff so people can get money or some positioning is what it's at. And I'm not part of that. I think these things have incredible powers. And because of that, they're very dangerous. Anything with incredible power is dangerous. And breaking it down to this weekend party favor that you do, and you put on a little Indian costume or you do your thing in this, I have problems with that because to me, the true original purpose of talking plants, which psychedelics came from, was to communicate with nature and the spirits and entities. Now, we use synthesized pharmaceuticals, psilocybin and all now, for um, illnesses of civilization, um, trauma, um, PTSD, death, fear, cancer. And I think this is great. But in this, the people who are pushing that are absolutely losing the grip that we are at a place that if we do not reestablish our communication with nature, which I think these talking plants are key to, there won't be any human beings in our needs and none of these other things are going to matter. And I'm noticing that the big push is on recreational, commercial, individual rights. I'm absolutely a believer in legitimizing legal everything because for the mere fact, all the years of harsh crime and making things illegal have only done terrible things and no good has come from it. So it's worthless. But the idea of putting it in the hands of a group of people who do not have the wisdom of the logic, but they got the platform on the internet and all, they can get their voice out, are making a very big voice. And they scare me because I do believe, I believe they're kind of foolish people, silly, um, entitled people that Forces behind them, eugenic fascist forces, are using their silliness as a way to get into the general masses of the youth of the Western world. And I think that's very dangerous. It is very dangerous because it's something so powerful. And in a way, it is just going out there raw, like unchecked, because there does seem that there's a plant spirit uprising right now. I mean, you've been there. You were there in the 60s, the 70s, the 80s. You watched how the legalization, the perception, the general perception has loosened over time. And now in 2023, my God, I mean, psychedelics are legal. 
in certain parts of America, decriminalized in others. I live in Portland, Oregon. It's decriminalized here. Yeah. All drugs are decriminalized. And what is going on with that from the plant spirit perspective? Why are their voices being amplified now? Why is there this bombardment? Because there is multinational corporations trying to control things like psilocybin and ayahuasca. We've reported on that on previous episodes. And we know that there's mega hedge funds getting involved in psychedelics and psychedelic therapy. So they're taking the spirit out of it. However, there is an uptick. There is an amplification. There is an awareness that is rising about the power of these. What is going on here? Why is that happening? Um, well, you know, back to the term talking plants. I am a believer that we've known history only from a very particular point of view. That's why my book, The Ghost Dance, is, is called An Untold History of the Americas. And, um, and I believe that in ancient times, there were people and spirits and plants that saw very clearly that we were going to head to this time. In the ancient codex books, 17 left of the New World, in the stories of the Codex Borgias and the Codex Mistakas, they very clearly tell the story. And this is pre-Columbian uh, for the audience. I just want to... This is just... very, yeah, this is very early pre-Columbian. This is the birth of corn time. Um, that, that they understood that this civilization created through corn by the plume serpent and precious flower would create the, the struggle of the fifth world where we are now where for the first time in history, human beings can actually destroy our own niche in nature. And why they have not spoken about it, because they're not the media, they're hidden people. I believe they've been preparing for this moment all along. I don't believe we're all alone. I think there are very powerful forces that will very soon become more visual that I have had privy to because of the places I've been that are going to blow everybody's minds because they've been there all along. As I always say, from the line from John Lamedeer, who said to me, no politician or the scientists they pay to make their lies sound true are going to get us out of the trouble the Wasiku have gotten us into. Only the ghost stands can do that, but we have lost the steps. Now, he's an old Lakota. So he sees only the ghost dance. I don't believe there's only one anything in the world, but I do believe very much in the ghost dance. And I do believe it is manifesting now. And we are going to get a great awakening. Because let's get realistic, Jake. Your mind can expand the way you're speaking. Mine can. Many people, we know people in Portland. But none of us really have any physical material power on the planet. The people who have that, the only way they're going to get off that train of anyone of color can die as long as I get rich, which is the bottom line, all of it. Um, they're, they're in a place now where unless something so astonishing happens to everybody, blows their mind away, we're not going to change their, their opinions fast enough because I went, when I came up out of the jungle in the late 70s for the first time, I spoke in many heady places, universities, inter-American bank world. I was all over the place. And back then, 
their scientists said to me, you, what you say is fascinating, and it's obvious you really have been where you say into the end of the world, but that's all going to happen in 300 years. Don't worry about it. These are their paid scientists. Then it got to be 200 years. Then it got to be 50 years. So what I'm saying now when they're going, oh, the whole world's falling apart. Every polar bear's dying. The oceans are doing this and all. It's these same lying scientists that are telling us this ongoing lie. No, I do believe we're in trouble now. I saw it 50-something years ago, right? And I was talking about it. So I think there's a giant disconnect. So in general, people, I think, we all have so much fear around us between COVID, between war, between cancer, all these things. We can't really understand that. I use the example of what happened to the marvelous African people when they were turned into horrible slaves was they came up with this amazing music because that's the only way a human being could escape and survive and mentally and spiritually grow when you're physically forced into slavery. The human mind is fantastic that way. We figure out different things when our mind can't grasp. So I'm wondering how much of this new psychedelic, how much of the new age is really us compensating because we're very afraid and how much of it is leading us somewhere. I would say it's a gray zone. There's a bit of all that involved. Oh, absolutely. And there are people out there with legitimate knowledge. There are people out there that have had experiences that are able to convey them in such a way they're going to help people evolve and grow and they come in contact with it. We have an incredible destiny as humans. We have the ability, I believe, to make this planet incredible if we live in synthesis with it, if we understand that we are all one and we really unite as a human family. I feel like we can have a beautiful planet where we're all living together in harmony. What do you think about that? Are, are we capable of doing that? Well, you know, very good question. I think a tricky question because it comes to a question. I guess I'll turn it on, around on you as a question. My journey has taught me that there are things very far from the human mind that have great powers and controls and things. I think a lot in the Western world, most, a lot of people believe that it's all in our minds. Human beings have this incredible power to create the world and the life we live in. I don't believe that. I have a different belief that way because I lived a different life. My perspective is different. I truly believe that there really are very specific other de deities, dimensions, spirits, um, things that in nature, I believe in talking plants. When I say talking plants, quite literally what I mean is I did, I was involved with only traditional ceremonies with ayahuasca, um, odishitu, many things for decades and decades. And it took me 36 years or so to learn the language of one group, dishitu, the sacred mushroom. It took me about 24 years to communicate with ayahuasca. So 
I actually believe these are entities that are talking to us that can actually commute. It's not me. It's not the voice of me talking to me in my brain. I know that voice very well. I've lived all by myself a lot in the jungle and also I know my voice to me. Um, I do believe in these things. And I think a lot of people fairly from their experience do not. That's an opinion. So do I believe through these plants and nature and all can we be stewards of the earth well the truth is anybody who really knows amazonas knows amazonas wouldn't be amazonas without the indigenous people of the amazonas they had an amazing thing to do with how that forest looks like it did before we've been destroying it in the last years they were very much part of it but were they the spirit of the essence no by contacting and being in touch with those spirits, it led them in a direction to take care of in healing the earth. So I think that's a thing we're facing today. Because I know I, I have spoken in a bunch of these big lectures at the time. I've actually moved away from most of them because they're all a cabal of people up to a big financial scheme. And I will have no part of that. I'm part of, you know, as I say, they are, they've become the establishment. They're the man. <laughs> I was very much part of this underground of this, the indigenous people, all of the people I would say like you that come to that part of it because they left that niche open running for the almighty dollar and they left their door open and now we're in it. Thank you for your foolishness. I can count on those people for being silly, privileged and foolish. That's what I know of most of them, not all of them. Well, it's hard. It's hard because a lot of people, they still get corrupted, even though they're dealing with this high energy, these high substances that are supposed to be really healing in a multidimensional way. They get caught up. They get caught up in this ego gratification and the money, something about that energy of money. Once it starts coming in, it can, it's like a virus code. If you're not cognizant <laughs> of it, it can infect you and, and, and it's a virus. And then all of a sudden the virus code is infecting your higher thinking. And that's what's happening. I believe with a lot of these people, some of these people, I believe start off with good intentions. But then when I see things like coupons for ayahuasca sessions, 30% off, <laughs> you know, that's when I, well, I, I, I've really well, seen those. Michael comes before that. I know very well the absolute importance of ritual done properly for these plants to really do what they can do. It is literally an earth exact science. The moment must be exact. The way they are handled, the thing. And I will say, you know, I've met through John Hams and all, a lot of these psychonauts that I refer to usually as psycho nuts because I've been to these towns all over the world. I've been to Mazunte. I've been to the psychedelic towns in um, Pizak in Peru and these places. And really to me, what they look like is mental hospitals with some better looking people wandering around. That, <laughs> no, they've had terrible directions. These people who were claiming to do these ceremonies, claiming to be able to help your mind and get into your brain and help you. 
where where is their background that they study with a bunch of perverts at some weirdo place in San Francisco? I mean, no, I spent years with the tribes doing these things. I know right. what they are. And I know of very, very, very few people. So when you take the psychedelic, it can very much help you on a personal journey. You go on the journey of who you are, who am I? Who is I as a child? I can be a better person. Very healing. Nothing bad about that. Very healing. But here's the, the giveaway to the whole thing. In the 60s, with Peter Malcolm, people, psychedelic art became around through the Fillmore and all. And it's that dripping color carnival, this geometric play fading. That's what the plants use to keep the initiated away. That's the carnival. You have to go past that carnival to actually get past the hallucination to the place of the vision. It's beyond that. But we have been stuck at that artwork, that mentality, that thing since the 60s. And I think, as you're saying, I think I hopefully will, if I can, be part of getting people woken up that um, awaken, that there's something way beyond that. That is the very, we have, we have for all so many people think, oh, they put on their man bun and they're a shaman. <laughs> and then, you know, um, no, 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 no. Oh, it's there's so, much, so more. much more. And it's hard because you, yeah. it, it doesn't, you don't have to be a intelligent or compassionate person to feel like it's disrespectful when you see someone doing a ceremony or like you said, claiming to be a shaman when they're just some person who has access to these substances and a place and a way to organize that. That doesn't necessarily make you a shaman. You need significant spiritual training and you have to be a certain frequency of human. Have you ever seen any damage to people who have been guided with these substances by the wrong person? Tons and tons and tons. You know, when I first did it, when LSD was legal, we had a term, bad trip. Right. And when I met with some of the people from John Hopkins, they said to me, oh, you know, we're all about keeping the genie in the bottle. Not like that bad Timothy Leary, who was a very good friend of mine. I don't like that when they talk about him. People who don't know him talking bad about him, they're foolish. He was a unique person. Oh, now we don't have that because it's controlled in psychedelics. I know tons of people who take it and take hot, brag. They take thousands of LSD at Grateful Dead and Fish concerts. I know people who claim to be shamans that every Saturday they take ayahuasca and Sunday they believe they're a bodhisattva. Monday they're approaching the term I've coined enlightenment because they mostly believe that acting white is awareness. No, that's just acting white. That isn't awareness. You people are confused. You know, that's enlightenment, not enlightenment, something else. And then by the next Friday, they're schizophrenic or manic depressive, broken down again, and they get on the hamster wheel again, and they take it again. And by Sunday, they think they're a bodhisattva again. And by Monday, and they've gone around years, and I will be absolutely upfront in that elitist group, with the money and the stuff who I know well, I think a lot of them have very severe brain damage. Yes, very severe brain damage. 
Some of the biggest leaders of that, if you meet them personally, you're like, what a wackadoo. You know, go put some mushroom on your head and walk around in a dunce cap or something. I don't know where you're coming from. <laughs> they're goofy. They're not real. They're they're sideshow barkers at a carnival selling something is what it's turned into. So I, you know, and on the other side, I gotta be fair. Not, you know, people say to me, like I was at a scientific convention and a guy said, you're a high school, you're not even a high school dropout. You're just a dropout, right? And you're nobody and I have degrees. Why you, he said to me. I said, well, first of all, I'm built and I could survive in that environment. You in the last three days. I know a group of people who are some of the biggest famous advocates out there. They'd go to the forest for a week they cry for their mommies. I was there. They'd go home and then they'd make it up and go, oh, we discovered it in Oregon. We discovered it in Washington because they didn't have the ways to hang with those people. And those people didn't want them. So like I said, through their own fears, they invented themselves. And that's what they're selling. And I really believe all of us in the movement, it is at a time that we're ready. And I'm hopefully that's what I'm about. I'm I'm here I'm in my 70s. I'm a great grandpa. I care for people. I'm at that time of my life. I really believe that we're going to have a new awakening now. And all this stuff is going to turn into some silly joke. You know, like I compare it to the, the craze when everybody was picking up dog poop or everywhere in the world in plastic bags. And so anthropologists and archaeologists a thousand years from now We'll see these pyramids of dog shit and believe we really worshipped and thought a lot of dog shit. You know, I think that's how all this is going to turn out, because I assure you of one thing. Their greed is ridiculous and funny, and it shows how wacko they are with these things they've taken. Because do you think, Jake, for one minute, when the money hits the table, you've gone through cannabis in Oregon, you know, when the money hits the table, you think Pfizer and Faber and Lilly and um, and Sandoz is going to allow these people to make the trillions of dollars? They're just using them as a way into all of us, and they will kick them to the curb, just like all that silly positive talk. I worked a bit with grand mal seizures with children in the cannabis area and had, with other people, truly miracle results. Think about it. Now that it's gone recreational and it's all lying chemical garbage, oh, it's organic. No, it's not. You've paid for the laboratories. You paid for the liars. It's all lies we're getting now. Is It didn't work out for the people. It became what it became, which has not helped the people. You know, have they released the people from jail who it should have helped? No. And we're we're on a repeat of that with kind of the same people, actually. It's kind of odd. Um and I think it's going to end in great foolishness. What you brought up, I think, is the very sad part. I think it's going to really hurt people and can have incredible damage on an entire generation. I think it's very dangerous. I, a guy who've taken these things and believe in them very much, but I don't believe in the cavalier. Oh, you know, I, I remember at one of these big foundations, they invited me. And they gave me the rap beforehand and said, well, you know, our great scientists have figured out that 
It's not the plant. It's all the compounds and chemicals. I go, okay, white racist, take it away from the Indians. We wouldn't even know if this was here without them. But because you've named it MDMA and, and STP and LSD, it's a chemical. So no one owns it. They make t-shirts like that, these people. And they all believe that. Oh, it's the chemical. And that's going to do it and, and help the people because that's what they're selling. But all they've done and at their thing, they took like five, six different psychedelics together and Prozac and Valium and something else. They said, oh, we take that so you don't get an upset some, so you don't go through the head things. No, you take that because you're erasing the very last microgram of true spirituality of the experience. Oh, and my taking God. it away with these other drugs. No, it's and that's what they're selling to today. Absolutely. I mean, I talk about this quite a bit. I was just talking with a guest just a few weeks back about how the spirit of the plant, and in this case, I was referring to cannabis, the spirit of the plant is what you connect with. The spirit of the plant is what heals you. The chemical compounds may be there and they may be measurable and they may have an effect on your biology, but that's just a step in the healing process. That's not the complete picture. Absolutely. And we need to understand that these plant spirits, they, they love us. They're actually here to be allies for us. Well, beyond that, Jake, if you want to really play the evolutionary game, plant life was the first life on this planet, fungi and plant life. We are directly related to plants. That's why we have this incredible, we're, they're not only a thing, part of, they are us, they are part of us. And that's the gift I'm hoping to be part of giving, that this whole silliness burns out because it's a silly fad. And I know the people who sell this silly fad, and I'll tell you what I know about them. Every single fad drug that came down the line from pot to LSD to coke to heroin to speed, they, they were there for everyone. This is just their latest drug, the way those people think. They've been on all of those things, not me, right? <laughs> and, um, and I hope that me and people like me can be bring forth to people who have touched their toes or are aware of it. And they go, okay, maybe there's something beyond this, what we could do. So as I was telling you, this anthropologist said, you know, why you? Why not me? And I said, well, there's no reason why me, except the fact that I was there with the Yanomami for 12 years, shoulder to shoulder, fighting the epidemic, catching spinal malaria, putting my life on the line for a long time. I didn't see you there. If you were there, guy, um, probably you'd have the same thing. You'd have your <laughs> version of it. It's about this thing, even what's going on now. You know, it's a big part of the ghost dance is the ghost dance is not, there's no tribe. No tribe. Only people who are 3% Cherokee princess claim to be ever see this. Real people, the people that I live between three reservations on a big ranch. So I, I'm around that stuff every day, right? No, they don't believe that way. The thing of it is that we have this great gift to us that we're getting tripped out of in a way because some greedy people just uh, want their way and their thing. and that thing is may very well be the key to our survival. There is only three places left on the entire world 
Earth where there's actually populations of still uncontacted people. And curiously enough, they're all in the Amazonas. They're not in Africa. They're not in New Guinea. They're here. And it's the Havari um, Valley, the Siapa River Basin, and a part of the Matagraso where they are. And these are the people who have who preserved these traditions. These are the people that have held these rituals that I learned them from and all. And, you know, I don't see any of these big psychedelic organizations mentioning them, throwing a dollar. What I did see this morning is maybe one of the biggest one because they've been so attacked since their ridiculous money-making summit bullshit session in Colorado they're, oh, no, no, we know Indians. <laughs> and they say, I know them. They're a bunch of silly kids from the city who've grown up who don't know anything, but they felt economically it's the right thing to say right now. So we got the media. We'll put it out there. And I'm hopeful that with people like me and other people, I'm not the only one, I have friends. Um, that people are going to realize there's a much deeper thing here. And then people say to me, well, I live in New York City. I live in Los Angeles. How am I going to get to this? You had the opportunity to go there. Well, that's why I am a medicine person, because I spent 60 years doing this and went all the way. You can't read three books and go to some session, man bun session and believe that you're the person, though they do. You can't take these things, these synthetic psychedelics and believe you know the spirit of it. Of course, no, those things only work on you. They have no connection to the spirit. Once you turn them into that, there's no spirit, as you said, in them at all. And I know even in the tribes, there's, it's not just here, a, a fascinating, terrible things happening in the Amazon. The Havari Valley, which may be the biggest stronghold of uncontacted people. I was just at the edge of it in the last year. Um, a lot of these um, net environmental group activists have gone down there and literally changed the cultures, just like the Calvary did in the United States. Most of those native leaders that signed all those treaties, they weren't medicine men or chiefs. Crazy horse, sitting bull, Roman nose, huh, they never signed those treaties. And now there's a certain group of women that are going to tribes and bringing in their, giving money to certain women in those tribes, saying, you're the chief, you're the medicine person, when culturally they don't have it at all. And what they've achieved is they've completely alienated the young men, such as the Machaginga tribes and those people. And now those young men are working on the very roads to get to the uncontacted tribes and destroy them. And I spoke to them. Some of them I've known from their parents for a while and their grandparents. And they said to me, you know, I'm like, those people from Europe, from the United States and Europe, they came here and destroyed our lives. We want to go somewhere else where the women are nice to us still, where we can have who we are. We just want to get money and get out of here. And they get on the web and they go, oh, we've saved the Amazon. We've saved the Amazon. I've been in the Amazon for a very long time. I assure you, it's falling apart. It's not being saved. And they've done more damage than good at the end of the day. And most of them were interns of mine at one time that 
I just saw I was just another step for them to climb their little self-ego ladders to get to a place where they can really do humanity damage. So we're in a very tricky time. On the other hand, I know people, Masatekin people, my closest friends, grandchildren who have gone to the city and in the city with modern music and modern everything have realized the incredible hidden thing that was in their past. You know, it's the story with I don't know you, but in my life, me and my father didn't get along at all. I live with my grandparents because it kind of skipped a generation. They were very old world and I did well with them. My father only wanted hot dogs in America and it didn't really work for me. You know, it was his thing, not mine, because he was a very poor kid. He really loved that, you know? So I think we're in an amazing moment. I have hope. My hope is in nature. My hope is in the talking plants. It is not in what we're seeing in the media today. I think we're being very much misled. And I love people like you in the podcast where I've got on, where people are at least getting an opportunity to hear there's an option. Because so often when I speak to these psychonauts and these funky shamans and all, they're so, they lack so much knowledge that just talking to me serves a purpose for them. They at least realize, okay, you know, this is, this is, Googly got plan. This ain't reality, you know. And so I think we're coming to it. I think we're right coming to a pinnacle on so many levels with viral disease, with um, wars, with the falling apart of the human niche on Earth and all. Um, as I start out saying, what just in the seventies when I came back to the states, they said three hundred years. Go on the web. Everybody <laughs> saying tomorrow it's all falling apart. <laughs> but the ghost you know? dance, though, you're because it sounds like what you're talking about is the end of the fifth world. What L the Lakota called the end of the fifth world, but it's not necessarily an end, is it? It's a new beginning because the new age people. No, that's a that's a Western concept. The end. That's not what the story of the plume serpent is. He and his 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 double. Tezcalipoco, Lord of Witches, Lord of Days. They go on this endless struggle with the daughter of the moon and um, with, with Coquique, the mother of Earth. And they go on this incredible journey to learn the perils of the soul in the underworld so they can rise up and be transmutated into a clean sister. To give you an insight of a, one of the most amazing things going on, at the time of the conquest, the very first group of women to be burnt at the stake with when the um the Inquisition came yeah, the to Spanish. the Americas. Yes. The Spanish Inquisition was a group of women called the Comadres Limpiada, the Clean Sisterhood. And these were a group of healers that knew how to use plants and they knew cleanliness and healing when Europeans lived in epidemic filth plagues. People threw their shit out the window. And all that. I mean, it's a pigsty. And so when Christopher Columbus, Cristobal Colón, first came to the people here, the lie that academia has sold, well, he saw it. He was India. And we changed the name to Christopher Columbus, a very good Anglo name. And, and, he, and he saw that and he named them the Indians. 
this is a complete made up lie. India didn't have a, the name India in 1492. It was called Hindustan. And the people was Hindustanis. They weren't Indians. It's all made up. The Padres called the Indians Indios. Dios, the Spanish word for God in the vision of God, because they were robust, oh, they my. were clean, they were <laughs> laughing, they were good spirit. But that when Colombia, Cristobal Colon and them figured out that they could turn these people into slaves and get gold and rich, they threw out the Indio thing and made them Indians. And almost all of us have lived our whole life under this academic bullshit. They they lied to us. And they do it with this high nose that, you know, we're academics, we know. They just write one book from another lion, white guy to another like guy and say, oh, this is the truth, right? No, we've been, we've been hoodwinked. <laughs> and part of my thing is I'm here to crash idols. People, first, we got to throw all that out the window and then realize we do, as you say, we have the gift. And I do, I, you know, when I first came out of the jungle, they used to call me the Duke of Doom because I was like Coxie Loxy running around screaming, the sky's falling down, the sky's well, But I'm not that anymore. I really believe that something incredible is going to happen and we're going to have a great awakening and a great hope. And probably if I'm still alive, I will be a translator in that time because I spent almost 40 years learning the language of talking plants. Oh my God. I, I want to ask you about that. This, this is all so incredible. There's so much information here, but do you think Michael though, that we are seated here because there are indigenous tribes, there are native peoples, especially in Peru that talk about how we came from the stars, that our ancestors are star people. And they talk about the Pleiades as one point of reference. What are your thoughts about that? Are there human organisms throughout the universe? Well, you know, interesting, curious enough, the Pleiades particularly is a Lakota belief. When you cross the Milky Way, you go past a one-eyed, um, a one-eyed, hunchback old woman who's the gatekeeper and you cross over the the um the milky way towards the pleiades and that's where you can go through the other realms now a lot of the other tribes have other constellations that they believe right the same thing with but an interesting thing i learned with grandpa roy stone and them in the old saying of the star people the actual saying was they were as many as the stars in the sky. Not they were you, the one of a kind star man. That's a David Bowie thing, not a Lakota thing, right? <laughs> and um, and I love David Bowie's thing, but that was his thing. So I, you know, strange to me that Dishito, the 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 true sacred mushroom that none none of these people have taken it's very hidden they kill people who come around that forest i mean none of these people even gordon watson was very clear with me that he never actually took part in the two edition because he took it with maria sabina in the town of Wotla in the pueblo which were where i lived in the masateca was basically you know downtown la it was a big city um, they didn't think those people were Chenea Tikei healers 
medicine people at all. They thought they were more Spanish Catholic people, right? Even though they were Masatek Indians. So they've kept that hidden from them all this time. All the mushrooms that people take in, I have found 127 different varieties of psychedelic mushrooms in the Masateka. So there's many kinds that all do different things, right? But I do believe that these plants and all have a hand through their mycelia and things. And the crazy twisted of it is, is the fall did not come with the conquest. When the Aztecas moved south to the Valley of Mexico, they went there as slaves and they got endeared to the people there. When the people trusted them, then they killed them all into power. And this was a trick taught to them by their um, their god, left-handed hummingbird, Wishloposhkle. And um, and it was a form of warfare that the people here didn't know, so it worked great. You know, like the Zulu spear. No one knew it before, so it really was effective. So once the people were building these great temples to reconnect with their gods, the temple to the Mother Earth, the castle called, that was the fall, not the height. Because we're Westerners, we think, oh, big buildings. That was them at their best. <laughs> Those buildings destroyed all the mycelia and mycorrhizing connections in the soil that were directed to the spirits. By basically building those cities and those temples, they destroyed their own culture before the conquistadors ever arrived. That's why the conquistadors could get away with it. People write these books, Oh, we had superior technology. We had Arabic rifles with a wick that you couldn't even light in the Americas. They were for, built for open fighting in England and Spain and places like that. Um, they didn't do anything to it. The, the Indian people were taken out by one thing, not Jared Diamond's guns, steel, and germs. No, it's germs, 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 germs. We are made up of germs. You have more viruses in your body than you have cells of Jake in your body by billions, right? We've been sculpted by virus and this stuff. It's not all bad. We Now we've made it the big villain and we're going to save you from the big villain. First of all, it's not the big villain and you are not going to save us from it because the way you're doing it, it's going to just go on forever and keep attacking us. That isn't the way you win a situation like this. There was no protocol. Um, and so I feel that these things are going to start to come out. But the crazy part is, this is where I go a little out of the box. It has to be, because I've thought about this, it's got to be something so big that all of humanity experiences it at the same time. Because if me and Jake experienced it here, but in Poland and Austria and Argentina, they didn't, they go, ah, that Jake and Miguel, they're <laughs> right? So it's got to be something that everybody experiences at once and people fall ah, and they get, okay, we are just goofballs and goofball land here. There's a bigger story. And then the thing will heal. I believe human beings are insanely important to this story. And we're not just some screw up that nature needs to get rid of because we're a bad parasite. And as I explain, and I'll say because my book's been around for a while, 11, 12,000 years ago, when people started to settle and 
they, you know, the story is, oh, they became agrarian. That's not what happened. All through the agrarian movement, people were still hunter-gatherers. Even the most nomadic tribes in the jungle will plant stuff and come back to it three months later and pick it or go to a tree. You know, we we make everything. There's one winner. There's one best singer. There's <laughs> one God. There's one great way. The world doesn't work that way. So um, these people... Um, They've evolved in a way, humanity, where here's the tricky thing for human beings. You, I don't, you know, you live in Oregon, so you've probably seen it. Fruit trees, when they don't have their flowers on them, they all look the same. Have you ever noticed that? Peaches, plums, pears, all those look like the same tree. They're very similar, yes. They all, very similar because there's something about the human breath, the not. I breath of humans, and Dishitu told me this, that makes, before that time, flowers were those ugly, leathery things that captured bugs with their stink and all. That modern, you know, the modern amazing flowers we have didn't happen until human beings and bees happened, which was very late. It wasn't early. That was very late. And so I really believe we were key to the great burst of the gorgeous flowers and fruit trees we have today. We are very much part of their story. And what a gift we have given to everyone through that. We are we have a true essence in nature. And I think because of that, we will survive. And, and Kokikwe, the mother, she's not going to get rid of us. She's going to clean up her parasitic disease disorder. And humans will get back to doing what we're really here for, to bring more life and breath to all life on Earth. Oh, absolutely. Yes. Expansion and further progression. Look, a lot of our perceptions of the Earth, we have to be honest with ourselves, are coming through our human perspectives and our perceptions and our filters. In a way, the earth is infinite. The earth will regenerate from the damage that we do. This process, this learning process is our story. And the earth is right there with us. I believe that the earth is just kind of sending messages now saying it's time for us to move to the next chapter so we can grow. So the earth, it can regenerate. I think that... Yes. A lot of our perceptions are just that they're human. There's perception. The earth, the perception of the earth itself is, is so much greater. And I do think Michael, that that experience that you might say could awaken all humanity. That could be a collective DMT experience where, where a solar flare or some energetic situation activates the DMT in our brain all humans, all of humanity, all at once. And we see past the illusion for just one brief second. Could that be it? Is that something you've thought of? Uh, yeah. You know, my way of seeing that's similar mixed in there. You know, what I know of that for me personally, when I take and I do, unless there's a situation where someone I know is in dire health need, outside of that, I do always, every year, for almost 60 years, three ceremonies a year, right? And, and I believe for these things to really to help you, you've got to do it and take a long time digesting it, 
figuring out, becoming, integrating it in your brain, in your body. It takes a lot of time. So I do the three a year. And what's curious what's happened to me over time, when I take these plants, I have a completely different experience. I I spent maybe five minutes in, oh, when I was a little kid, I mean mine. I spent a transitional experience, you know, uh, crossing over. But I go to a place where there's none of that stuff at all. I'm in an actual um, vision where things are very real and solid and not sped up and flashing away on your synapses going crazy. I have developed to a point where I have a very different experience than other people on those plants. And curiously enough, because 99% of my experience have been with extremely remote indigenous people, they recognize my experience with complete clarity because it's more similar to them. But to be realistic, because I have this whole backstory of the West and they don't, then there is a difference with me and them because they we have a different reference point and they know so much of their world. I would take me five life turns to catch up to them in that, right? Even though I'm an expert jungle guy, I'm expert enough to know they're on a supernatural level on some places. They're unbelievable sometimes. Um, and yes, I think, like I said to you earlier, I think we're coming to the time to end this, get off the map and end this silly psychedelic carnival heading towards money. Go to the next level, the level of true vision, true related insight, not just, you know, the thing we've been hooked up on. When I was a child, I knew people who went on spiritual experiences and they went and helped at orphanages or people with leprosy. Then People like Tupac Chopra invented, make me rich because I am selling you self-development. <laughs> you know, his brother was a friend of mine. He said, biggest con man in school ever. You know, he said, well, you love my brother. What a comment. He is, I met with him one time and I said to him, you know, you talk about all this spiritual awareness and we're in a mansion in Los Angeles. And, you know, I know people in East Los and in the hood who... Mother and father work three jobs to put their kids, take care of their kids in a rough situation. And and then they do a barbecue and sing and dance all weekend with their family and go back to work. And you want to tell me they're not spiritually evolved? He said, no, they don't have the time to do the exercises I prescribe, the yoga. They don't have the money to read my books. And right there with all those people going, oh, I said, you're a fucking bitch, man. And I don't want to hear your stupid shit. And I told his brother, he said, you're one of many who have said that. Yeah, that was Deepak Chopra you said that to? Ah! Now, now his rap is, I want to make more money. And I realized I was a complete bullshitting asshole. So listen to me again, because I'm telling you, he reminds me of the, you know, the evangelicals with the pink and the blue here. Oh, I've raped little boys and I've raped little girls. But Jesus came to me and I'm healed. Yeah, I ain't buying that. Yeah, and there's I definitely a lot of charlatans. Like there's a lot of charlatans out there, Michael. It's 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 really bad because it doesn't make sense with what they're piggybacking on, what they're connecting with this higher energy. They're trying to sell God and not even in a way that's like actually beneficial. It's a way that only aggrandizes these people. I, I just don't know how you could 
kind of do that and, and sleep at my, night. Yeah. <laughs> my grandpa had a great saying about that. And many things my grandpa said to me have lasted through my life. Porque mi, mi abuelo was a, un señor. See, he was straight up and down, my grandpa. And this is what he said to me. He said, you know, just because there are a million fakes doesn't mean there's not the real thing. It just means there's a million fakes. And it's hard to get to the real thing. And you don't think that I realize who the hell's going to be nuts enough to go on that crazy journey I went on and who could physically survive it? I knew lots of people that went on it. Almost none of them survived it. They either ran away or they died. I mean, it was very hard. My body and my brain could survive in that. For whatever reason, that's my destiny. Um, and so I very much believe that. I think there are very special people, you know, a few years back, contacted by the UN. And they said, on this day, we're all the holy people of the world are going to get together at this moment at 630 and pray for world peace. I said, well, you say all the people of the world, how about the first people? Oh, this French group we had, they spent a month and because they were blessed, all the holiest of people came out of the forest to them. And now they're coming to the UN. I said, well, that's fascinating to me because the holy people in the forest I know they don't they don't speak Spanish or English or Portuguese. They don't have a passport. They can't get out of the jungle. They don't even know you exist. But these special people, they came to them because they're so special, you know. And I said, yeah, the people I was with, you had to be there for two, two and a half years before they first stopped lying to you. They're not going to give it away to you. They think you're a ghost or something. It's nonsense they've been selling. So I was in an event and my wife was flipping out because I can be kind of feral. And um, and. They went around the circle and all these people of different religious groups were saying, and I believe this and this is my world peace. I said, you know something? I'm going to sing a Yanomami war song because I'm going to tell you those real spiritual people you're talking about in the forest, they have a sense that it's your people who have come and killed them and they're at war with you. They're not praying for world peace. Their world peace is if you'll all go away. That's world peace for them. That's how confusing the whole thing is. Not to say that there are charlatans in the forest too. Not with the uncontacted tribes because they don't understand that. It's not part of what's in their framework. But I know many people from different regions who, you know, they come to the United States with ayahuasca and plastic soda bottles. When I was young, if you went to a village in the Alto Amazonas and someone put it in a plastic bottle or cooked it in an aluminum pot, which all these retreats, these ayahuasca retreats do, they'd kill you dead in two minutes. That would be like the most sacrilegious thing you could do. And then I read on the web, oh, they're the greatest healers and they have the secret. And you see them stirring the big aluminum pot and pouring it into, you know, you know, plastic soda bottles. And I'm like, okay, maybe me and other people, maybe I don't know who, maybe we're coming to a point where people will see that. And to me, I will say here, before we run out of time, there's a very simple way to solve our big problem. But the the people who are in control of the media are 100% blocking it. And that includes 
all those new rocket billionaire ding-dongs and their made-up knowledge that they have none of in real life, and they haven't even lived real life. Most, if you'll look at all those guys, you'll find out that almost every idea they come up with is an old bad Star Trek episode. Because that's where <laughs> they spent their life in front of computers and watching Star Trek. That's their source of information. Now, you go back to old Star Trek, see almost everything Elon Puss says, right? Um, and I think we're at a time where the they call it the time of Tescalipoca before the fifth world. And as you were saying, the story isn't the fifth world will end. The story is through these talking plants and Quetzalcoatl, the plumed serpent, and precious flowers, Xochitl that a great awakening is going to come before the end of the fifth world. And we will evolve. In the ancient codexes, it doesn't say we die at the end of the fifth world. It's going to come and human beings can destroy our niche, but it doesn't have to be. And I think part of what spurs the real thing to come out is the illusion rubbing against it. And we're under so many layers of like a onion of illusion being peered away. The saying is that Tetzcalipoca's veil will be lifted and we will start to see the truth. And I think we're in a time of that where just so many things we took as absolute truth we're realizing we're just lies and opinions by people who wanted to control other people. And, and I think that is like you're saying, dissolving. And I'm hopeful, I don't know that it is, but what I've gotten, the big thing, the difference of the people in the jungle and what I've learned in my life, which probably 75% of it have been in that world is that, in our culture, if you want something, you break, Jake breaks his bow and arrow, can't get food for him and his family. He doesn't call on the web bows or us and has sent a new bow and arrow. He doesn't even go to the, and say, well, I'm Jake, I'll make my own bow and arrow. There's probably one guy or woman in that village that's a master bow maker. And it's their job to make bows for everyone because everybody's got to eat, right? Now, I'm a master pot maker. And I have a pot. You have a pot. You're the guy with the ball. You make the pot. We meet on the path. And happenstance, you see my, the, this beautiful bow I made. And you go, God, I don't have a bow. Jake, here it is, man. And you go, I go, but Jake, I don't have a pot to cook my food in. I just made a beautiful one. Now, this sounds woo-woo in New Age, but it's a different paradigm. When you live in the world of that stuff, Believe me, it happens like that every day because those people, when they want something, they speak to the shapuri, they speak to the hikura, they speak to a specific spirit and go, listen, my family has to eat. And oh, okay, and that's how. We don't have that intermediary spirit anymore. We created modern religions that replaced intermediary direct spirits. Because let's face it, with the way modern religion is, the spirits, the gods, the saints are very far from you. They're just this faraway mystical thing, right? It's not, they're not with you. Oh, God walks with you every day. Yeah, but he doesn't get your new bow and arrow. You know what I mean? <laughs> you know, so 
I think we've been shifted in some ways that helped us, in some ways that didn't. And I am helpful, but I do very much believe that the rituals I've learned, the rituals among the last uncontact people, because the minute those people get outside contact and really get involved, then they're putting ayahuasca in aluminum pots and plastic bottles, which is a lot of the medicine people come to the States. There's a lot of very young medicine men from the Putumayo region of Colombia. And I meet them and I talk to them. They make fun of me. They go, oh, you're like our grandfather. You talk like in our grandfather's day. I said, but you're wearing your grandfather's kushma. You're wearing his medicine man necklace. You're wearing his paichi. You're wearing his headdress. Well, you know, the white people really love that. You know, I said, well, you play harmonica too to the old people. Oh, yes. The ayahuasca told us that this is good and the harmonica is good and setting it up to get money for this is good. And they're poor people. I was a poor person. You have to have money. I hate when people say, oh, they're, they should do it for free because, you know, they're giving us. No, you're rich and they're poor. You should be giving to them, in my opinion. So there's even a lot of indigenous people. There's plenty of indigenous charlatans too. Not because you're any color or anything. In fact, most of the so-called medicine people in the United States learn most of the stuff they know about it from books written by white men because there weren't any Indian books back then. You know, John Lame Deer was different. His mother was a wounded knee. Frank Fool's Crow was different. <laughs> Grandma Alice Fourhorn, she was right there. They're different. They didn't come from that place. And so it's very tricky, but there is that oldest saying that hopefully the cream rises to the top. And I think more and more people are learning the folly. I know lots of people who considered themselves ayahuaqueros and mushroom um, shamans. And many of them are not doing that anymore. They said, we learned over time. It took way too much out of us. And we were fooling ourselves. We, we learned enough to know that we didn't know. And I think that's the point we're talking about now. I think people are starting to actually learn enough to realize that they don't know it and they need to go to the next level to start to learn it. Because let's get real. You know, it's a funny joke I make. Before the Don Juan books, I was on Resolot and all my native friends, they couldn't get a white woman to save their lives. It was the biggest joke going on. <laughs> they grow a mustache like me and they'd say, teach me to speak Spanish. You know, I want to go to LA and make believe I'm a vato. You know, it was hilarious. And then the Don Juan books came out, which were, I do call us very well. They were uh, very well written, lots of fiction, lots of made up by Carlos, you know, including the name Mescalito, which is a German word, not an Indian word, Carlos, that you sold. And his whole concept of the apprentice system. In the Americas, we don't have an apprentice system. DC2 picked me and the people around didn't kill me. And they let me go in as far as Chicanindo and get taught by Dishi to directly over years, over marriages and friendship. Old wise people talk to me like I talk to you or you talk to me. That, but I did not go to Butterfly Man who, and I was his apprentice, and he taught me that doesn't exist. That's made up by Carlos Castaneda. But the beauty of Carlos was after his book came out. John Trudell and Michael Horse came back from Vietnam 
two very charming, good-looking guys. And all of a sudden, it changed everything. And I was with people who ran the systems on, you know, the Native people from Fort Peck and Rosebud just a couple of months ago. We were having dinner in Santa Fe. And I told them the story. And everybody was falling out of their chair going, oh, my God, that's really what happened. <laughs> so as I started out, when I was a kid and I went to the rest, there was no what we call deep Indian stuff. It was hillbilly, right? They hated that. If if a traditional came into town, they threw rocks at them. But before AIM, before the American Indian Movement, when Sam Ketchin first pulled a great trick and put up a Sundance Arbor at the Powwow Tourist Center and tricked everybody, right? And actually did a real Sundance. And people went, holy mackerel, Sam got away with it. And then Frank Fool's Crow was already doing his thing with Grandpa um, Chips, who was Crazy Horse's descendant from, from his line. Um, then all of a sudden, it grew there. It wasn't there before. It came later on and bad things came to a lot of the AIM guys brought drugs to the reservations and, and rape and a lot of city stuff. They were city Indians, but they also were part of that great awakening. And I think we're at that point where there's some terrible things going on right now in that world, but we're at a point of a great awakening. And I hope I can stay in good enough physical shape and clear enough mind to help with that. And so when you ask the question, my spiritual path is just that. That's my spiritual path. Well, I think you're doing the help right now. You're helping us. You're helping this audience of over 170 countries get in touch with this information. There's a lot of things that you've said on this interview that have just been nectar. I'm just listening. Actually, everything you've said has just been nectar. I'm just sitting back and, and just in awe of these incredible stories because of your history, because of the work you've done and the fact that you were there where no one else was allowed. And that was because of your love. I think that really is the root of it. it, it it's your love, the energy, the respect, these people can read energy. It's natural for people to read other people's energy. They were able to see that your energy was different. So they brought you in and taught you these things. As, like you say, we're on this precipice of this huge development, which is what the ghost dance was about. This is a 9,000-year-old ritual to save humanity from ourselves at this yes. change. Yeah, and two things. The first and the big misnomer people have about the ghost dance is it didn't come around. I can prove through the I'll give you I could I have a lot of factual information that can prove the point on that it didn't just it wasn't a pop-up religion of a destitute people. That's another story that got sold in the case of and what really happened to me when I when I really got to be with the uncontacted tribes was the epidemic broke out in Venezuela with the Yanomami and the Pira and the Mikiratari. And the president at the time of Venezuela did a TV show. And in a helicopter, he flew over an area that they claim was an uncontacted region of the Yanomami. And when they came down low, the Yanomami were chanting, Maka Maka Napa Napa Sike, Napa Napa Sike. And, um, and the president said to the pilot, um, what are they saying? And I, and they said, 
they think Napa Napa Sike is in the helicopter because they think the helicopter is a giant dragonfly. Right. And he said to them, who's Napi Napa Sike? And you hear them yelling, Mikey, we know Mikey. You want to meet Mikey? Right. And literally within a week, I was with the president in Mira Florida's, the Venezuelan White House. And so people said, well, the government gave you permission. No, the Yanomami personally asked for me. And I was there with them through the length of the epidemic. And and they never killed me. They never put arrows in me. I, I To this day and then, very tight with those people. And all. so, like I said, it was weird happenstance. I wasn't on a quest. I didn't have big, powerful people putting me in position. These people screaming, this voice crying out, howling from the forest got heard. And I was the voice that it was calling to. And it was just a strange twist of fate in my life. Wow. And, and these stories, what you're talking about, these are outlined in your book, Ghost Dance, An Untold History of the Americas, which is available everywhere that you can find books. This has been an incredible conversation, Michael. My God, I feel like we could go for hours. There's so many things that we still could My wife calls on. me spooey. She says, turn them on, and the information just spews out. <laughs> well, that's okay, because you know what? We love that information. It's actually, it's historical. I mean, it's it's true nectar. Some of the things that you were saying, it's, it's just really powerful. I'm trying to process all of the amazing things that you've said on this episode. Well, you know that you have to come back, right? Like, there's there's no but way that I, you're I, not I coming back. I actually love coming back more, Jake, because usually when I come back, there's already a foundation layer for a lot of people out there. Yes. So they come in and they're now taking part in what I consider is the ritual. In, in true ritual, the ritual begins way before the ceremony and ends way after the ceremony. It's all the time lining up to get to that exact moment. Because in a magical work like this, there's only one split second where you can cross over to the other side. And if you're with one of these big groups singing Kenny Loggins songs and this, the plants don't understand you. That, that's not their tonality. Their tonality is all about tones and vibrations. That's how they hear. It's not like a chromatic scale. It's more like, you know, this, one of the, those people from that organization said to me, she said, well, you just spent so much time with the Lakota. You can imitate them chanting. And I turned to her and said, yeah, but I'm singing in Yanomami. And what she didn't realize was all the tribes of the Americas are held together by one ritual, the ghost dance. It's spread with corn all across the Americas, even the tribes that didn't do corn in the end. That's how it's spread with the clean sisters all across the Americas. So all the tribes are in touch to this. They're all tied together by the mycelium in the earth. That's this incredible power of theirs that is untouched. And that's why the con conquerors have divided them and put up borders and put them on reservations and made them feud with each other. Because they know combined, they would have an incredible power that people can't even imagine. And, I, and that's what I see in the ghost dance, because the ghost dance is not an ancestor dance. 
people think the ghost dancer kind of go to Arthur Murray dance studio and he teaches you steps, me being Arthur Murray. And I'm not <laughs> going to teach you the mom. I'll teach you the mambo, not the ghost dance. Um, and then you ghost dance. But the trick is in the ancestor dance, you commune with your relatives or the or the ancestors of the region you live in because it's in the soil, not in the blood. It's in the soil. So you communicate with that. In the ghost dance, this one spirit, only one, you try to communicate with is the spirit of the totem animal of the Americas, the undominable plume serpent. That is the spirit totem of the Americas inherited in our soil. And when you dance with that, you get in touch like what Mark Twain said, Everything great about the United States is what we stole from the Indians. And in a lot of ways, there's truth. Women's rights, a republic, um, equality, working together as a tribe. Those are all their things. That didn't come from Europe. That was here. Maybe in Europe many, many years ago when they were indigenous, but not in the, the conquistador state. So it's really all there for us. Bring us back to where this started. How much is this information in our ability to get this nation out to many countries? Very important. Yet on the other hand, a lot of misinformation is being sent through the same media. So how do we get to a place where it becomes obvious to people what is coming from the heart and what is a carny scam? You know, like who is Jay um, Barnum said, you can never go broke under over underestimating the stupidity of the American people. Not saying American people are stupid in this, but his point is well made. We want to believe things so we're gullible, and then that blocks us from see, sensing and feeling things that are really true. That's the crazy thing I learned, and why I was so addicted to spending so much time with the tribes. They're not only physically naked. Their love is naked. Their hatred is naked. They are literally us with the same basic IQs as, as we have. There are genius ones. There are dumber ones. Same exact with us. In their world, they're geniuses and we're complete idiots. Um, we couldn't survive there without them. Normal person couldn't survive there three days. Um, um, and you feel with them like when Yorimi came to the United States, this anthropologist made up this whole love story that he fell in love with a 12-year-old that I knew very well. She was a wonderful kid. And he brought her to Philadelphia, these places, to put her on the Oprah Winfrey show. Oh, is this and this? She hated his guts. Hated him, right? And she would cry to me. She learned English. The only thing in the United States she liked was McDonald's French fries for some strange reason, <laughs> right? But... um. And she cried and cried me. And finally, we helped her get back to her tribe in the Amazon. She actually left two kids here because she knew she would die here if she didn't get home. And we had to sneak her back and everything. Wow. And I saw in her losing that love and that contact of the tribe. Helena Valero, the Brazilian girl that was stolen by the Yanomamis and grew up and would marry three of the most famous Yanomami chiefs. When she was old, She's my dear friend. Her, her son was my partner. And she'd say, I ran away. That's the world of the dead. We care about each other. We are one. We love. And you 
feel it with their people. They have something so important to teach us. And at this time, even the environmental movement is helping them go into the Javadi to destroy the last essence of that. It's like my joke now is that, you know, the three supposed big great winds of the environmental movement was wind turbines, um, um, electric cars, and solar panels, which I have. Um, but you need lithium for them to really work now. The chemical lithium item is worse than fracking. It's the worst thing that can happen. So these big environmental things that they've sold in their big environmental corporations now are selling us on this lithium thing that may be the very thing that destroys us. Oh, absolutely. If you look at the mining, the lithium mining, the African children in the Congo that are mining this, people that have... Ah, the cobalt, the lithium, I've seen it in Bolivia. It's beyond disgusting. It would make anyone sick to their stomach and keel over. It's so gross. But yet, hey, no, you know, electric cars are similar. I want to say today to everybody, electric cars truly helping to save humanity, that ship sailed 54 years ago. That has no, the problem is coming so much quicker and so much bigger than that. We have to make a giant change in the whole structure of it. And I'm not even talking about the dinosaurs of communism and fascism and capitalism. Those are dinosaurs that none of them work anymore, whether they ever worked. We have to really be something very unique and maybe enough people with these plants will slip through past that carnival and not just be hypnotized by, you know, um, a um, Jefferson airplane light show and go on because we've been stuck there for a long time at that Jefferson airplane. It was great in 67. Now it's whoa. Um, and Maybe we will, or maybe something from out. And to the star people, strange as it is, and I don't talk about this much, but in all the 54 years I've known Dishito, I'd never seen Dishito because every time I could raise my head to look at him, I just physically was so afraid or whatever. I never in 54, 55 years could never raise my head, right? And finally, a few years ago, me being older, we were like two old friends on a bench. I looked at him and he looked like nothing I expected in any way. He surely didn't look like any of that bullshit out of the Don Juan books. I'll tell you that. And he claimed, he says that he came from somewhere else. Right. And I believe him. He's always, he's told me incredible things through my life that I had no way of knowing made no sense. And 35 years later, there it came to be exactly the names, not in a general woo-woo way, the names, the place, the event, everything perfect. He could see the future for sure. And so Dishitu says that this whole process I've personally gone through and the process humanity is going through and other individuals is all about the plants and the ancient spirits of the ghost dance coming to heal humanity so my grandchildren, my great-grandchildren have a real life. They can see a real duck. They can see fish swimming. 
not in this world where all they see is plastic junk Paris Hilton selling or something goofy, you know, something real in life that anchors you. So you're not floating in the nowhere and you're so afraid that you invent all this silly stuff to compensate because you can't handle life and you're full of fear. And not everybody could be like the black slaves that invented jazz and blues and incredible <laughs> alternatives. That's wild in its own way, what they did. So that's that's the world we're in. And I got hope, but I ain't buying what's being sold. I think I think we could truly go the other way and go right back into what happened in the Nazi movement in Germany. I think we're very close to that. I think that kind of trickery is very similar to what's going on now. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think everyone's feeling it. It's very strange. But what you're saying, though, is that we are destined to go to a loving, advanced planet. Like it's our destiny I, as humans. I, I hope. I don't know if it, I don't know if it, destiny seems to be written in stone. And I don't feel that. But do I feel within myself because i'm the only thing i can really judge by that you know i'm i'm far from an angel i've been involved in all kinds of crazy stuff in my life i've been in wars i've been in epidemics um but i have learned and it's interesting to me as i've gotten older i've gotten more compassionate more wanting for that instead of less some people get less and so because I see the transmutation in my own being, I got to believe every other human being is more or less me and they yes. can do the same. You know, that's exactly. who we are, you know, absolutely. You know, so that, that's my hope. Yes, absolutely. We have that potential. What a conversation we've had, Michael. My God. We just ripped through this conversation. There's just so much that we talked about. I really deeply appreciate you being here and sharing with us. This has been incredible. I'm so thankful to you that and for my dear buddy, Rob, who introduced me to Mr. Pontiac, you know, for doing that. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful that that I even have no one. And I know that the people in those organizations have blocked me from a lot of stuff because they're afraid of me for the reason is, not all of my knowledge, I can read. I can read ancient hieroglyphics, which is where I've got a lot of information. But most of my life has been empirical knowledge. I was there. I was there when it happened. And I know them. They weren't there. They were sitting in their places, not there. They were somewhere else. And so I feel there's a chance, but I believe the Pied Pipers that have taken the one, and to be honest, in the last months, there's been a huge backlash to the psychedelic eugenics, um, corporate recreational um, cabal, very much. There's a lot of stuff that's why they put out that article oh we love indian people oh we really respect them i know the guy who wrote it he couldn't tell the difference he he wouldn't know that i i knew him even in mexico he 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 hung out at some place where there were only white people there wasn't any indian there except for maybe the waiter you know what i mean um, he didn't know nothing about it. Oh, he's the authority that's telling us now because he's got money in the stage, and, you know. Okay, that's fun and that's silly, 
but we're in dangerous times and in dangerous times, you know, another subject with this, I think in a strange way, men have really lost themselves and women sense that men lost themselves. And this incredible divide has happened between men and women. I mean, I know all around me, there's great friction with that. And I think part of what happened because of the way policing and cities were built and things of a fascist state, even fascism, something good can come from because I grew up with a sister. I have girls and all. I want them to be safe. Um, and I saw that those things made it for women where they weren't, they didn't feel danger. You know, they, they didn't need a man to protect them. They were more free. And I, I you know, like I said, I've had girls. I, I understand that. I'm for my girls are free spirits. Um, right. But there's something I learned with those people. This is just, this is my opinion. I think there's something about men finding themselves again. I think this whole thing, like I said to a friend of mine, do you want to be, a, do you want a woman for your pareja for, to be with? Or do you want to be a woman? It's not the same thing. Right. Yeah. It's a very interesting time in human history. It seems that there's a, a fear of masculine energy. Yeah. I don't have that. I lived in a different, I'm from a different <laughs> time. And that's why up in my ranch, people joke. And sometimes they call it man camp because sometimes boys come out of here and when they leave their men, and I'll be honest, some of my best ranch hands have been women, but when they came out of it, they might've been girls when they got here, but when they left, they were women. Right. right? Absolutely. Um, well, because we are all humans, we all have these strengths, but there are frequencies that align with femininity. There are frequencies that align with masculinity. And I think that as a culture in our, I think as a human culture in our desire to be rid of war, we've kind of lumped masculinity in with chaos and, war and and kind of you know, all the bad aspects of it but the truth of the matter is the reason why this country right now makes up make-believe wars just like dwight eisenhower said the make-believe wars of the military industrial pharmaceutical thing will destroy you all i created it listen to grandpa well they just got rid of old dwight after you i said i was ike said it and they got rid of him but he did say you could look it up on the web he lays it all out in his 1960s final speech and all but here's the crazy part the best way to conquer a people is to convince the men that it is not part of their destiny to protect them. These wars that are being fought all over, they don't help any of us. They make some billionaires, bigger billionaires, why our boys and girls come home missing pieces and in boxes. It don't help any of them. You know, it, it's us. And we're going to come to a time again where men will have more importance on many levels of just the whole spectrum of the male side. And what I've learned in my life, you know, I, I did a show in LA oh, about a month or so ago, and I got attacked by an academic claiming he's never been with the Yanomami. He's making it up. 
Nobody can say the ghost dance. Well, this guy knew nothing on the subject. He was just a big mouth urban clown. And but he went, he tried to close me down the whole event. He went after me, this guy. And people said, and I did one point right to him and said, you know, you can look me up. I got lots of credibility all over the place. I'm credited. I'm a part of the national guy. I'm real. I got it. I would gladly speak in here, your opinion. Of course, he didn't, because he really, I could tell, you know, he had this whole story. He, he was a Cherokee princess, right? And um, and in the end, I had the event, and my wife got upset. And she said to me, you know, control yourself, because this is L.A., and it's very woke and very politically correct. I said to sweetie, then I'm going to do a bad job. I just got to go out there and be me, you know? doing this and being scared. That's, that's not me. I grew up in a different world than that. And you know, the strange part, I got up there and I made some jokes about all that. And you know who died laughing and applauded and standing ovation? 85% of my audience was women. The women got it. And I made all these raps like you're saying, no, they were like, we want a man to talk like a man, you know, not go up there. Oh, hi, I have my man, but, and I'm so excited with my female side. And, you know, oh, I feel your vibration. Everybody's sick of that goddamn shit, you know? <laughs> well, yes, because it's out of balance. I think that's really, you could just sum it up out and of say balance. it's out of balance. The energy's out of balance and it needs to come into correction. I mean, it, it, and then the, the, ma the masculine energy's out of balance. The feminine energy's out of balance. And we want to respect and love the goddesses in our lives, the, the mothers, the women of our lives. We have to treat them with absolute love and respect. But that doesn't mean you throw out masculinity in the process. Oh, no, my wife would hate that. We've been together for over 15 years. And, you know, there are a dozen things she does way better than me. I mean, to a comical level, better than me. And there's a dozen things I do better than her. And and I, when it's her things, I go, speak to the boss. Why are you talking to the hired help? You know, because <laughs> she's got it. It's a balance. And, yes. you know, and she always says to me, she said, oh, God, you know, I couldn't handle that. You know, you're a guy. I want a guy. And that doesn't mean there's all variants of, of relationships. There's all variances of the human animal sexuality. That's what makes us great. I love people. People used to go to me. Um, why, you know, why didn't you study jaguars? Why didn't you study anacondas? Because the people amazed me. They captivated me in every way. I just love the variation, the incredible variation of human beings. That's our power, our variation. We're not a monocrop um, race, the human race. We're a very, we have many, many, many factions and parts to us. And it does, but still at the end of the day, we have to be part of the workings of nature. Absolutely. How nature works. And I get I guess that's where I am. Well, let me ask you this really quick before we go, because I know we are running out of time, but based on everything that you've said, based on all the different experiences that you've had, do you feel like in your opinion from your perspective that there are actually 
anti-human forces that would love to keep us in division. I'm not, I'm not talking about corporations. Well, I know or, what you're talking about. But are, are there, what, what is that? What are these anti-human forces? These are my, now I'm going I'm to state this way. These are my personal beliefs, right? Okay. This is what I believe. I don't know. I truly believe that most of these people that are doing a little bit terrible things, really terrible things, I do believe they're possessed by deities. I do believe deities take over people and they're just puppets. I, you know, someone like Trump, just whether I'm for or against it, he seems like a puppet to me. Joe Biden seems like a puppet. Hillary Clinton is definitely a puppet. You know, they're puppety people. They say stock lines to get stock reactions. They work in this kind of non-human way. They speak to us, you know, oh, well, I've made billions of dollars stealing tech information. So call me a genius. You know, I will say I've had the funny thing experience to meet some of these giants in tech. And people said to me, because I'm a low grade mud person, you know, illiterate kind of guy in their minds. And they said, you know, this will be the smartest person you ever met. And I turned to him and go, read Francis Huxley's book. He only, the whole end of his life was with me doing rituals. He cut the whole world off except me to do rituals. I've known very smart people in my life. These guys didn't, women didn't hit me as being made blowing way geniuses. They really appeared to me like very good commercial rats that knew exactly when to steal from someone else and then put a smiley face. I wasn't impressed. So yes, I believe this is what they call, we are in the highest witches war in history. Every time in human history, a new crop or a new economy is brought into any rural people, the witches of the new people try to scare the other people so they'll accept it. And the witches of the, the forest people get their witches to fight back. That's what happened with the Aztec. It's what happened with the conquistadors, with crops and all. And I believe we're in the biggest witches war right now in history, that there are witches, sorcerers, fighting the battles. There are deities and people that are coming for goals because this was my great awakening being a kid that came from, you know, I, I went out on the street when I was a kid with $2.75 and survived. I come from that, right? But I've met lots of super billionaires. I'm not even saying real super billionaires. And what I found about them is that's so fascinating to me they don't even think about money like us because they don't pay bills or do. So they don't even think in terms of money because me and you got to pay, get this done, make sure <laughs> we don't lose our home. You know, they don't do any of that. They have people who do that from. So I don't buy this thing that we've been sold. It's all about the money. Forget everything. After the 60s, we were sold. And it's strange to like I said when I started, I was a street kid and all these privileged kids came to my neighborhood with torn up clothes and long hair and beads and go, no, we're like you. And we were like, no, no, we're not coming to the cosa. You know, no, no, we, we're, we're not you. 
You know, I didn't, my parents, you know, and where I learned it was my sister and family, there was deaths and drugs and all. And what I learned young was, because I was poor, I couldn't play around with that stuff because if I got screwed up, like one of my girlfriends, I didn't have rich parents who could give $25,000 to send me to rehab every six months to go on the rehab merry-go-round, which most of these psychedelic rehab places are crock of shit. It's just a merry-go-round of them making money because all those privileged kids, they never get cured. They just get cleaned up for three, four months and come back again, pay another. And these, oh, we're doing, we're saving so many people. I'm aware of them. I did a show with Dennis McKenna with them. And it was quiet. We had one of those guys on. Me and Dennis were like, yeah, whatever, man. This is a money scheme, right? And so I do believe that it isn't really money at the end of the day because it doesn't really mean to them what it means to common people, us. There are sources, I believe it's, it went right through the Nazi period. I do not believe John Wayne stopped the krauts in Jer Jerome, the chief, the Mexicans called Geronimo in his stupid rap, saved us on Normandy Beach. I believe there was great occultism, and it's a proven fact now going through that era. And I believe there's been a witch's war battle going on since the time of Rome. Oh, my God. God, wow, what an incredible way to end the episode. Look, this is just leading into the part two. We we definitely need to have yeah, you back on. We anything, Jake. <laughs> you just get started, man. Come on. Well, let me tell people where to find you because we're going to have you back on. We're going to continue this conversation. We're, I know that we can go for probably days, but I want to tell people where to find you talkingplants.org see we didn't even get into the story of how you learned to talk to the plants that's okay we'll save that for next time talking all the work the foundations i've done a lot of work through those foundations and they've been honored by all kinds of people but that's another day yes. <laughs> oh my god well let me actually let me just say this thank you and I, I thank you for your time. Thank you on behalf of the listeners who are listening right now around the world that are just absolutely captivated by your story like I was. I, I, I was literally hanging on every word, and I just thank you for that. So, people, TalkingPlants.org is a website where you can go and learn all about Michael. He has a book, Ghost Dance, An Untold History of the Americas, which, again, is available on Amazon and all the places where you can find books. And tell me about the Ghost Dance Revival World Tour. Um, okay, to end with that, what happened was I started, it started, I would say, I'm thinking maybe three, four years ago, maybe a little more. Um, and what happened was I never in my life performed in the United States. In I, I did all the stuff I did on reservations and deep in the barrio. And I, it was not my world. I saw all those people come to the jungle and all stay for a week. And the, they came to me because I'm so special. Not my life. It's all been a long, hard road. Um, and, um, and so just then, I never, I, I go stance with the Yanomami, with the Masateke, all people. And, and, that's really what got me on this thing because in the middle of the epidemic, we were way up in what they call the Pupu Taco. And this woman, a Yanomami woman, collapsed on a beach. 
And I had many marvelous doctors with me from Cuba, flying doctors, all those crazy doctors who fly around and do great, amazing stuff, who I adore and they're so wild. And the women are crazier than the men. I so adore them. Um, and they said to me, because they yell at me a lot, and they said, people are dying like crazy. We got children here. You can't focus on that one woman. She fell down in front of me. No. And they're dying. You know, I listened to them. This is their world. And I left her. And two, two and a half hours later, she gets up. And now people said, oh, it was a brain aneurysm. I don't know what happened. She got up and she gets up and washes herself with dirt. And she sings in Yanomami, um, Yapui we sharika, Yapui we sharika, give us back our arrows. Now, my old friend, Leonard Crow Dog, who went to prison for ghost dancing at the um, Wounded Knee Uprising in 74, I believe it was. For, and Leonard's lineage from Henry, his dad and all, was a lineage of medicine men that never fought in wars, never went in the military. They were a different type of medicine men. They were medicine men that served communities. So he never did a war thing, a violent thing. That was not Leonard's way. Leonard just died. And... As I heard her sing, I remembered that that's exactly how they taught me. She was singing the exact same Lakota ghost dance song in her language and performing the ritual. It's on the cover of my book, that woman. Yes. And I realized that the ghost dance had spread all through the Americas from from everywhere, from starting out in Mexico in the Mazateca with corn going out to the time of the 1800s in Wavoka and the great prophets of the ghost dance, Somala and um, Tohivo and the great ghost dancers and kicking, and kicking Bird and all of them danced. And this ceremony was truly inherent in the earth of the Americas. So with that, Grandma Alice Fourhorns, before I died, she gave me a whack and said to me, you better listen to me. I'm your girlfriend. She was in her 90s at the time, Alice. And I said, okay, Alice. And she said, no, you need to sing and dance. This business of you don't want to do it, you feel weird. Don't, I've taught you and you've learned, you must do it. And so I started ghost dancing and all my original ghost dance were with the Yanomami, the Pioroa, the Zapotecs. It was nothing in the Western world, but it caught on so much among the tribes that when I started speaking at events, I started doing little bits of the ghost dance. And people, I would say, honestly, love that more than everything because in the middle of a talk like this, I would start singing the ghost dance song and I'd go into the tonal thing of and they got the feeling of it and the dancing and it would really excite people. And then my friend said to me, who's a Lakota guy? said, man, don't buy this. It's We're all tribes. You can't say it's not for Polish people or not for the Black people. It's for everybody. Because if we're not all working together as a tribe, those possessed people's possessed by demons will take us out. Our power is our what they call in Spanish pueblo, 
to bring the people together. I am a true believer. I'm not a socialist. I didn't even like living in villages. I always camped in the thing because in villages, people are up every five minutes. Kids are screaming and crying. You never sleep. You don't sleep ever more than two hours in the village ever, right? But I love the whole thing of the people coming together. And to me, that is the true power of the ghost dance. <laughs> wow. And you're now reviving this. Are you going to bring this to cities around the world? Well, the interesting thing with that was I started out and I had a really big bounce and people were doing it. And then I say this, the very people who we were talking about who are creating this eugenics fascist um, thing with my lawyer in the room said, we are going to block him. He is oh. trouble. He's not going on because they know I'd never buy into their big, stupid, silly money scheme. So you would essentially cause friction in that world. And so they're trying to. Oh, I have big. Oh, and and I'll say this. Any of you listening, I'm sure you are. You follow me, people. I'm coming. I'm coming. (laughs) Oh, yeah, guys. I'm coming. Well, I I, I know you're. I I know everything about you guys' silliness and you (laughs) women's silliness. I know what your game is. I'm coming. And yeah, that's it. And I truly believe because. The truth is, I can go up to Rosebud tomorrow and go to Stan said, I'll have tons of not outsiders waiting for some fifty thousand dollar Sundance that they're doing for Wasiko. The real people, the back, the people up in He Dog and Parmalee, the back people, they all come when I do it. And why the reason you said people go, Well, you're not Lakota. Doesn't matter. They know me. They know what I'm doing is where it's coming from. I've never had a problem with any of those people ever. Wow. Except when I was little, they used to beat me up. <laughs> <laughs> well, like I said, you're the real thing. You're the truest, most authentic voice of these people and the earth. You're one of the voices of the earth. And I really, again, appreciate you being here. It's been incredible. I know that I, I like we've been saying, I could keep you going for hours. I'm, I'm sure. A ghost dancer. Yes. I'm a ghost dancer. My whole loyalty <laughs> is to Kuklikwe. My my spirit is a female spirit. I pray to Mother Earth. She's she's my whole everything. I have a female deity who's my deity, and I and I am her knight, and I will remain her. I will be her eagle warrior. Well, thank you for doing that. I appreciate that. I know that she appreciates it. And look, like I said, five other times we're going to have you back on. We need to hear more from you. This has been magical, legendary to have a legendary person like yourself on with so much knowledge. Thank you again, Michael. Super duper appreciate you being here. Jake, thank you. And I always end with because the gods give to those who give to the gods. Yes, we love the gods. And we let's just bring this place to love. Let's, let's make this a love planet. Let's make this planet a big love battery for all the other races that are <laughs> out there. So thank you again, Michael. Please hold through the outro music. And again, people, check out talkingplants.org. Check out the book. Check out everything that Michael has been about and his whole history. On, it, although I've fallen out with Instagram for different reasons. But I have so many people there that I, I will not abandon them, even though my heart isn't into Instagram. But I'm on the ghost dance on Instagram. Is it just all I'm one word, the ghost dance? The ghost dance, yeah. Oh, okay, so check that out as well, people, though. He's not on it very much. So thank you again, Michael, and everyone. We will see you next week.
midnight on earth.